Coming up on Growing Home Together. Because of the stress, I did lose my appetite. And so people were noticing and saying how much better I looked or you look great. And I thought, wow, what did I used to look like? So then I had to resort to behaviors to keep my weight the same. As parents, you know, you feel like, gosh, I don't know where this is coming from or why are they acting this way? You know, these would all be warning signs to ask more questions. Seeing the truth of who I was clearly then through God's word, that was when I found the lasting freedom. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Joanna. And this is Growing Home Together. Caring for the soul of your family, helping you grow closer to God. And each other. Thank you for joining us today for Growing Home Together podcast. We're excited to welcome Jennifer Lane to the program today. Since we're here to help you care for the soul of your family, uh, Jennifer is here to help us understand how body image and eating disorders can impact our kids. This is an issue that has touched our own family, and Jennifer, you've been a huge encouragement along the way, so thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So Jennifer, you're the founder of the Michigan Eating Disorders Alliance. You lead a ministry to women and girls struggling with eating disorders, and you're the author of an amazing resource, Transformed Eating and Body Image Renewal God's Way. And you're the mom of a daughter yourself. Can you tell us how this issue became so close to your heart? Sure, yeah. This really was birthed out of my own seven-year struggle with an eating disorder. Um, I struggled after college. Stressful events uh, kind of culminated in me turning to an eating disorder to use sort of as a coping mechanism. Okay. Um, got entangled quickly. And then um, after seven years of treatment that was focusing on sort of the physical and the emotional aspects, it wasn't really until I addressed the spiritual components that I was able to find lasting freedom. Yeah, that's, that's good. I know with, with our daughter, um, it, it was kind of similar in some respects where she wasn't looking to start that she um, was actually on a medication and one of the side effects was you know a low appetite and um, and so she said that when people started commenting it was never really an issue but people started saying oh wow you look good you look like you've lost weight and then she became very self-conscious and it kind of spiraled into this eating disorder yeah I had a very similar experience actually where um, because of the stress I did lose my appetite and so had un knowingly or unremarkingly lost weight, but people were noticing and saying how much better I looked or you look great. And I thought, wow, what did I used to look like? I didn't think, you know, and then I got really self-conscious and felt like, well, I just better not gain any more weight or I better maintain where I am because, you know, and I was a people pleaser. So I wanted to maintain Mm -hmm. that approval and Mm -hmm. not disappoint other people around me. And then, so then I had to resort to, to behaviors to keep my weight the same that I had unintentionally lost. That makes right. sense. It makes right. total sense. Yeah. yeah, and I would imagine, I mean, how serious is this uh, an issue in our culture? Well, I think it's rampant, really. Uh, I think everybody has some level of body dissatisfaction. And, um, you know, wherever you are on the on the scale may vary, uh, where you might just, you know, everybody's has parts of their, their bodies that they don't like. But then, you know, are you doing something to change it actively? And I think our culture that we live in really promotes comparison. It promotes um, appearance and it promotes sort of, you know, who you are in front of other people, particularly on, you know, for our teens on social media or online. 
a lot of pressure that's uh, you're exposed to 24 hours a day versus just you know only you know it used to be print magazines or uh, you know or if you're watching TV but now really our kids are online so much that they're constantly thrust into liking pictures or taking pictures and filtering pictures and changing digitally altering things that you know right. the, the images that our kids are seeing are not real they're fake images mm-hmm. and but yet we're comparing ourselves to those and so I think we have a lot more pressure to feel like we need to fit in and also to fit in physically with our bodies I don't know yeah right. so so this is growing a, a growing definitely issue. I think with the the emergence of the online um sort of life that uh, our kids are leading that we didn't have to face. It was hard enough when we were growing up just, you know, with, you know, things that still exist today, bullying or teasing or things like that about, you know, people making fun of each other. Um, you know, words hurt and they do carry a lot of weight. And I, I, woman after woman will say, you know, quote directly things that they heard when they were eight years old or, you know, that, that scarred them, that really hurt them, that, that did shape how they viewed themselves. And so now these messages are just multiplying and are bombarding our kids that I think it's even harder to wade through uh, and remember the truth about who they are. Right. Well, I know for me, um, when our family kind of collided hard into the issue of eating disorders, I was shocked at how little I knew and understood. Um, How would you describe to someone the difference between an eating disorder and someone trying to make healthy modifications to their lifestyle? Yeah, that's a good question. I think, um, you know, I I would also just couple it to kind of when when God gave us the law, he gave us the law as um, guidelines and um, direction about how we could live in obedience to him. But he, he didn't give us the law to enslave us. And I think so when you look at eating uh, there's and disordered eating, there are times when it's appropriate to make changes in your diet for health. You know, uh, you know maybe it's uh, what you're choosing to eat or how you're choosing to eat uh, and the frequency that you're eating. Uh, those kinds of things uh, might be ne- medically necessary or important for you to be healthy. But when it varies um, or moves to a place of inflexibility, where you can't vary from your specific food lists or uh, or regime, exercise regime that you're doing or that you can't, uh, you know, vary from your schedule or you're obsessing about when you're eating, how much you're eating, what you're eating, you know, those kinds of things. When it moves to there, that's when it's a problem. When it starts to take over your, your life, your time, right. energy, and your resources, that most of them are going towards managing this, versus it being something that you're doing to help your health, uh, I think when it takes that great of a place in your life, that's when you, the red flags go up. Okay. Um, can you name any kind of false truths or misinformation that's out there about eating disorders? Yes. I think that, um, you know, a lot of people think that eating disorders are all about appearance, um, that, you know, it's very um, surface-based, that okay. it's about uh, that they're, they're, they're harmless. You know, everybody, everybody does it. You know, everybody goes on a diet. It's not a big deal that they aren't a big problem or they're not life-threatening or that if somebody is struggling, that if they appear normal, that they're not, they, they don't have a problem. You can't see it on the outside or if they've restored their weight, that they're doing fine mm-hmm. or that it's maybe attention-seeking. I think these are all things that myths that people uh, buy into, but that the truth of the matter is that eating disorders are serious, complex uh, mental health 
and physical issues that take a, a treatment team to really address all of the aspects. And there are really a lot of underlying things that drive people to engage in the behaviors or to have the desire to engage in these things that, um, and they're so vast and varied that you, it's not a cookie cutter to say, well, if they're struggling with this, then it's this reason. Okay. It's a, a wide variety of things. And so it's, it does need professional help and it does need, um, attention. Okay. Yeah. So what can a parent do if they start seeing some of the things that you mentioned or are there other things that sh- they should be looking for? What kind of steps should they take if they're seeing some of these these things, change in food behaviors and things like that? What what do we, we do? Yeah, I think as parents, we need to work on the division of responsibility with feeding. So our job is to offer uh, healthy, you know, choices and it's the child's job to eat and as they grow older you know um, that division changes and they take some more ownership in that role but you know if they are um, becoming secretive about uh, what they're eating or maybe you're finding wrappers of foods consumed in their rooms that they're they're hiding or maybe um, they are trying to uh, get out of social uh, events, maybe with their friends or within their, and they're, they're not eating. They don't want to eat the food that the, all the family's eating. They want to eat and prepare their own food or, or sometimes allergies is a big problem because they have to cut out certain things. But then as they do, then they can use that sort of as an excuse to cut out other things too. Or maybe if they're spending a lot of time exercising or, you know, uh, really concerned, taking a long time to get ready and, you know, really concerned about how they look or, um, you know, just, I mean, I'm saying like hours and hours of time and energy and resources going into all of these things, or maybe really irritable when you try to approach them on it, maybe uncharacteristically. So I think when you're depriving yourself of nutrients, you, you actually aren't responding often to your true self because your body isn't functioning properly and you're not thinking rationally. And so as parents, you know, you feel like, gosh, I don't know where this is coming from or why are they acting this way? You know, these would all be warning signs to ask more questions. Um, and uh, certainly, uh, you know, you could go to uh, resources online. The National Eating Disorders Association has a wealth of information about signs, symptoms, and, uh, you know, what you could do about it. And, and I think those are helpful maybe just to educate yourself as a parent about what to look for and then maybe spend some time in observation and just see if, you know, am I in the red flag category or am, are these just normal teenage behaviors? And then also seeking out treatment people in your area who are who know about eating disorders and asking them questions because I said it is so complex and varied, you know, getting, you know, being able to explain your specific situation and uh, maybe your child's become really withdrawn, maybe they're struggling with depression and anxiety. And, you know, it's often the eating disorder is a co-current thing. So there's other things that need to be addressed as well. And so maybe explaining to somebody who, who would understand and, and getting their opinion about whether or not and how much uh, help they might need. Maybe it's uh, something that could be fixed with, uh, you know, just some weekly counseling and other other kids might really need like full-blown residential treatment, just but right. understanding where you are as a parent to know where are we in this, you know, give us a, give us a gauge of how serious this is. Right. I think one of the hardest parts uh, for me as a mom was the level of secrecy around our daughter's eating disorder, and I didn't have the awareness to know what symptoms I was even seeing right in front of me, so I didn't connect that her level of fatigue 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Her uh, lack of involvement in our family life for a while, um, even her fashion choices mm-hmm. uh, were all indicators that she had a real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I chalked it up to just natural um, teenage independence and uh, her expressing her style her way rather than sure. saying, oh, those baggy sweaters mean that you've lost a really frightening amount of weight. And there was a lot of guilt for me around that. So what would you say to the parent who maybe is asking questions and their child isn't talking? Um, I think you had indicated before in something that I read that you had written that you carried that for a long time personally. Mm -hmm. So what was the thing that cracked the door where you felt like you could finally start sharing what was going on and who did you feel like you could talk to? Yeah, um, so I think to say to the parent if they're concerned, first I would say just in terms of educating yourself just on all of these issues, knowledge is power, we can know what we're looking for and know what to be aware of, Um, but not certainly to the place where we're also living in fear either. But I think it is helpful just to know, and I think that um, I can hear some guilt in your statement there about missing it, and I think that, you know, we're all just doing the best we can as parents And me personally, I I didn't want anyone to know. And I was trying to actively hide it. I was very embarrassed and ashamed that I was struggling with it. I didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, when people did come to me, and very few people did, but the people who did in express concern, I didn't respond very positively. You know, I I was in denial myself that I really had a problem. And I wasn't really open to hearing their suggestions. I mean, I'm thankful now because... I might not have responded very positively in the moment, but it did give me great pause to think about it. And I am a people pleaser. And so I, I did value what they had to say. It just, it had to be in my own time that I mm-hmm. then sort of realized that uh, I really did have a big problem. And uh, I wanted to convince myself that it was something I could manage on my own, that it wasn't that bad. But once I realized, I think the um, extent of damage that I could do to could have done already or was continuing to do to my own body that could jeopardize my uh, health long-term and my capacity maybe even for childbearing and things like that. You know, that was very sobering for me. And while even going into treatment, I thought that, you know, again, it wasn't that bad, but I would just do, you know, I probably needed some help. But I think once I got in into it, um, then I really realized, wow, this was a lot bigger than I was even realizing myself. And so, the people around me as well, you know, they didn't know either because I wasn't really telling the whole truth. Right. Yeah. So what finally opened the door for you to tell someone you needed help? So it was interesting because um, uh, my church, we were we were coming into a season sort of a fasting. Here we are in the Lenten season anyway. But uh, we were going to be doing a very d- different thing each week sort of uh, of a fasting focus. And um, my husband said, you know, I don't think you should fast. I think you should eat. And for me, that was the first time because I was so other focused and um, people pleasing focused that a lot of what I was doing to myself was in some twisted way to keep other people happy and taking care of their needs first. And so to think that I had failed in that you know, in these efforts or that I was hurting the people I was trying to help or who loved, I loved the most, uh, you know, that, that for me was 
that, that's what really stopped me in my tracks. And I was a very motivated patient at that point to get better and get the help that I needed. And a lot of people aren't. A lot of people, you know, are teens who aren't ready, who you're seeing have a problem and you want to help them and they don't want to be treated and so are, are not willing participants in the process. Uh-huh. How common is it in those situations where maybe the child is even in denial and mm-hmm. really does think they have control of the situation and really can? Is that is that pretty common? I think common? that's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it is a tricky line because, you know, especially for teenagers who are growing and expressing their independence and, and, and wanting them to take ownership, they're still... A, a child and they still need you know so that you want to have a team involved so that they are the team who are directing the process telling them about what they the meal plan that they need to follow the work that they needed to do then you can be as a parent the support person and you're not causing uh, more rules and restrictions or you know because I think sometimes teens can rebel out of those um, feeling you know in desiring of controlling something that they can control their food or that this is something that the parents can't change. So I think that that's a tricky line to walk as a parent, and that's why having other people involved to be sort of the people who are overseeing that aspect and then you being sort of the support of helping them on their journey is the best-case scenario. Right. Uh, That was a very important part of the dynamic between my daughter and I. Uh, She maybe wasn't feeling as ready for treatment for her as I was ready for treatment for her. Yeah. And uh, I remember after the first consult, um, her level of emotion was so high. Mm-hmm. And she and I kind of had to strike a deal where, as her parents, it was essential that she go to treatment for her, her own safety. Right. But we were willing to set some really firm boundaries um, or allow her to set them where I, I made a promise to her I would not walk into the building with her. That was her space. She would drive herself. And she asked me to please not ask her any questions after her appointment so that she could just carry it forward on her own. And it seemed like once she knew I wasn't going to probe and pry and lean in and try to get involved in her process, it set her free to do the work, like you're saying, on her own and really start taking initiative. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think kids can get to a point where... We, we talked about how sometimes they're in denial, but then I think they get to a point where it's, it's a little bit scary. And so going through that process back, um, there's probably, I would imagine, shame and different feelings that start coming up with that process of road to recovery. Absolutely. And I think that you go from this space of sort of denial because you don't even want to admit to yourself that you're struggling with this. A lot of people who do struggle with eating disorders tend to be perfectionistic, high achieving, you know, and and so to think that this would be an area that you're failing in is really extra hard for us. And I think that um, you, you go in with sort of a little bit of that pride, feeling like that, that admitting that you have a problem to then to relief, that finally you don't have to keep it a secret anymore, that somebody does know, and that when they found out that the way they responded wasn't rejection or abandonment or, uh, you know, or shaming or any of those things that you might have feared would happen if you told. And uh, once you kind of get past that, then while you, you don't like where you are, you are 
thankful to have people who are in your life, who are encouraging you and loving you and walking with you in the process. And so, and once you're sort of embracing the fact that you do need help, then it feels a lot different, but you have to kind of, you can't make that switch happen, but it will, you know, so it might be a little rocky in the bidding, but it will get better. That's good news. (laughs) Yeah. And you, you had talked, you had touched on this a little bit early on uh, when we started the interview, but how did your faith affect the process of your recovery? I think the thing that my faith offered me the most was hope. And I think that, you know, going through a recovery from an eating disorder is probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. And I, I've even worked with women who have uh, come out of alcoholism and uh, who sort of come to eating an eating disorder that replaces sort of that uh, coping mechanism for them. But they will say that the eating disorder has, you know, is far worse to uh, combat and overcome because with alcoholism, and I don't want to minimize that struggle, that is uh, horrific as well. Uh, but you can choose to never drink again. You don't have to ever go into a bar or you can eliminate alcohol from your life. You can't eliminate food mm-hmm. and you are, you are constantly um, going to have hunger come again. And so you, whenever that hunger strikes, you're going to have to deal with those feelings around it. And so, and we have to eat to live. And so how do we have a healthy relationship with food and with our bodies, you know, is really challenging. And so, um, you know, it wasn't anything that I could just shut out of my life. I had to learn how to have a new healthy relationship with it. And that's, was really challenging. And I think, um, you know, for me, uh, my faith was always a part of my journey, but there was always a part of it that I wasn't willing to surrender to God, uh, that I was holding tightly to. And, you know, I wanted it to change. I wanted it to be different, but I felt like there was some element of if I let it go and I really let God have his way with it that, you know, there was like that fear in my mind, well, then I will end up being 500 pounds and I will never, you know, or like you feel like if I really surrender this, you don't trust yourself that, that it's a big control piece, you know? And so I think there was some element of where I really wanted God to change it, but I wasn't also willing to let go. And so part of my seven year process was doing a lot of the work, the underlying work of the emotional and physical aspects that really, set the set me up in order for to me to feel like I could let God work. And it was, you know, I think the spiritual, the emotional, and the physical are all pieces that I think are important to the puzzle. And if you don't address all of them, you can't really come to a place of freedom. But I think that you can't address them all at once. And so because I had gotten to the point where I really was doing very well and my treatment team had said to me, you know, hey, you're like 95% there you're doing great. We're so proud of the work you're doing. Now we just sort of need to move to a place where we're going to be managing that last 5%. And I said, what, what do you mean managing? And they said, well, you know, it never, never really goes away. Eating disorders will never go away. You just have to manage your symptoms. And I thought, wow, I've been working this hard to just manage this piece because I knew that while I physically appeared okay and I could function, quote unquote, normally in my social circles, I was still having a pretty big conversation every day in my head and combating uh, these obsessive thoughts and compulsions that it was still taking a lot of my time, energy, and resources. And I thought, you know, this is not what I, this doesn't feel like freedom. And so for me, that caused a relapse that was darker and deeper and worse than I, than the first time around. And I really sort of gave up trying 
And it was in that place for me that God really met me because I had nothing left. I had done everything I could in my own strength. And I had made a lot of progress, but I really hadn't surrendered that last piece. And so it was there uh, that I really was willing, finally, to let go. And it was like God sort of turned on a light in a dark room and showed me sort of the lies, the fundamental lies that I had been believing since I was a small child, really, mm-hmm. that had only that had only gained momentum as experiences fed the lies. Does that make sense? Yes. And so... Uh, and I had never verbalized them or identified them. And once I was really able, God showed me those, I was able to see that they, they were lies and be able to replace them with the truth of his word and seeing the truth of who I was uh, clearly then through God's word. And it, the veil had sort of been lifted. And once that process occurred, that was when I found the lasting freedom, and and it was the obsessive thoughts uh, or you know, self harming, you know, urges and thought processes really dissipated, and then in the upcoming months, and and really have never returned, mm-hmm. and it's been eleven years, uh, and I think that even my treatment team, which was probably some of the best in the country, you know, they were not Christian, and they can't understand this piece, but, and always expected, you know, were happy for me, but always figured I would, at some point it would come back. And I've had plenty of other stressful major life things happen again. And it hasn't, I haven't ever slipped back into this, thankfully. So I really attribute that to God's healing. That's great. And I love uh, that you took um, so much of what God had to say to you. And now through your book, Transformed, you've put it um, on paper so that other girls and women and other people who struggle can hear for themselves what God has to say. And uh, one part of your study that I just love, talks about love, actually, Mm -hmm. and really addresses the core need that our kids have to understand the level that they are loved Mm -hmm. and how that really underlies pretty much any struggle that they're working through. Um, Is it okay if I read a little bit of that now? Okay. So you said, fear drove me to place high expectations on myself that were perfectionistic in nature. I thought fewer mistakes meant more security in my relationships. However, my heart's motive was approval seeking, not God pleasing. It is a hard way to live when your worthiness is based on others' approval. Because I looked to others for love, I was always afraid I wouldn't be loved. 1 John 4 verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. Instead of turning to God with that fear and my need for love, I just worked harder at pleasing. I had to learn that God did not design love to be rooted in fear, but rooted in Him. And you said, this new lens changed everything. It exposed the root of my problem, my inability to receive love. I couldn't receive God's love for me because I didn't view myself as lovable, at least the way I was currently. I kept striving to be someone else because I struggled to accept that I was complete, just how I was. God reminded me that while I couldn't be certain of others' love, I could be certain of His. So I know the goal of your study is uh, to help your readers take hold of God's love for them. What can we do as moms and dads to help our kids grasp that incredible truth that can, that can just rescue them from all of this? Mm. 
Yeah, I think just uh, continuing to just love them unconditionally as our, you know, as best we can, like God loves us. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to uh, not get stuck in sort of that, you know, rewarding, positive, that's not a bad thing, you know, but, you know, in terms of, but not getting hung up in, um, you know, their actions equate to the positive response. And so, you know, being able to communicate to the kids that maybe they don't love the choice that they, they made, but you, that doesn't change how you feel about them or that, you know, failure is just a statement about what happened, not about who they are mm-hmm. or re, you know, sending home the messages of, you know, that, Hey, we're here to learn together and we're going to make mistakes, but we can learn together and, you know, and nothing's going to change how I feel, but just constantly reiterating those messages, I think. And, you know, we can't make our kids hear it the right way. We can't um, control the meaning that they make, but I think the more we can communicate those kinds of messages to them and, and, you know, back it up with scripture, I think is, you know, just keep and I think teaching kids how to turn to God for rescue, that's a, another thing in the study that I just long for my readers to learn is that I was turning to a lot of other things to solve my problems uh, or to, to rescue me and, and, and looking to other things to rescue me. And really, God is our only rescuer and is, you know, and to whenever Psalm 37, 23 says, God takes delight in every detail of our lives. And so he really cares about all those things and teaching our kids to just, whatever they're struggling with, big or small, to turn to God and talk to God about it and seek him for a response, you know, will hopefully help them to, we can't keep our kids from struggling with everything, but maybe just trying to teach them how to, what to do when we are. Yeah, that's really great. Um, So can I ask you a question as a dad? Yes. You know, I, it's important to me. I want to affirm my daughters. We've got three girls, and we wrote a book a few years ago called 88 Great Daddy-Daughter Dates. And in there, I put 10 things your daughter needs to hear from you. Mm-hmm. And one of those things was, I think you're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I'm thinking the whole, the whole person. Yeah. Um, and not long after that book was out, there was a lot coming out saying, oh, you know, you shouldn't tell your daughter who's She's beautiful. There's too much focus and emphasis already on the outward appearance and things like that. But as a dad, I want to affirm my daughters. And yeah. I don't often, you know, a lot of dads don't often know how to approach this situation or say too much, not say enough, that kind of thing. Yeah. So what do you think dads should, should do? I think it's still okay to tell your daughter that you think she's beautiful. And I think, um, but you can reinforce the messages of, you know, about what beauty is and beauty is inside and out and that you know part of our job as um, children of God is to reflect God to others like the moon reflects the sun and so that's part of what makes us beautiful is how we reflect God to others and so talking about beauty in a way you know that you know, when you compliment her it's not just on how pretty she looks but maybe complimenting her on how she's a good friend or, um, you know, how she worked hard at at that assignment and got a good grade or how, um, you know, she was really particularly kind to uh, somebody who needed that or something like that. When you kind of highlight those things and just reiterate again, you know, that's just so beautiful, your person, you know, and tying beauty into that as being a whole person or even helping our girls to see too, 
that, you know, there are people who are beautiful out there, but if they, what they're like on the inside, you know, if they're mean, you know, it's really not the person that you want to spend time with. And so just helping them to see that. I, and I think our girls need to hear from their dads that they are cherished and that they're beautiful and that they're loved. And I think, and feeling secure in that. And I think so any way you can do that in a bigger picture, making sure that they're not just hearing because I look pretty today, that kind of thing, I think is is a beautiful gift to give your, your kids. Oh, that's that's great. That's helpful. And I think it's helpful for, for the dads that are listening to know, because I know as I've in myself, but as I've talked to other dads too, it's easy when you don't know what to do to kind of go passive. And so it's important that dads lean into the relationship with their daughters and tell them that they are beautiful and valuable, but, but make their worth more than just that go beyond that. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we've been talking about a heavy topic and some pretty deep needs of our kids. And we all walk around with a lot of questions about how to um, care for our kids well in this area. Um, we would be so grateful if you could pray for the families who are listening today. Would you be willing to yeah, do that? Yeah, sure. Okay, I'd be happy to. Uh, well, Lord, I am just thankful that you are a sovereign God, Lord, and that you are working even in ways that we can't see all the time. And uh, so it's hard sometimes when our kids are struggling to know and, and to see you at work. But I, I thank you that uh, that you are. And I thank you, Lord, for the children that you've entrusted each one of us with and uh, for the sons and the daughters that you've given to us. I pray that uh, each parent listening would know that they're not alone, Lord, that you promise you are with us. You promise to never leave us or forsake us. And you promise that same thing for our kids. And, uh, you know, and you've given us the Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. And so when we don't know, parenting's hard. And when we don't know what to do, Lord, that we can turn to you for wisdom and direction and clarity. And so um, I pray that you would uh, help uh, us to know uh, that you are there and you are the parent of our children and that we can trust our kids with them. Uh, I pray that you would uh, help each of us to release our kids to you into your into your care and trust you with them. I think a lot of times we we worry and we think we we can help and uh, and, and and we can, but Lord, we but ultimately you are in control and you are working all things out for their good and um and we can trust you with that. So give us hearts to trust you more and help us to remember that you know we we have the Holy Spirit in us, Lord and. Uh, and to tap into that power that we can in, in, through prayer. And, uh, you know, just to remember that you're a really big God, a God who parted the Red Sea, who led with the pillar of cloud and fire, who flooded the earth, who sent his son who, to conquer death and, and, and save all of humanity. You're a God of miracles, a God who caused, caused David to defeat Goliath. And so I think as we're facing maybe a Goliath today with one of our kids, uh, I pray that I, that each parent listening would remember that what kind of God we have and what kind of God we serve and that that God is on uh, your side. And so I just pray that when the doubts come, that they could stand on the promises of your word. And I just, uh, verses coming to mind, I just pray Isaiah 41, 10 over them. Uh, Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help, help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Jennifer, uh, we're so grateful that you uh, came and joined us today to talk about eating disorders and, and body image. And 
your book transformed is is really great and um where can people go to get that it is available pretty much anywhere uh books are sold online uh, it's on amazon and uh most other places as well and my website it also has it it's jennifersmithlane.com and you can also get it there great uh jen was very gracious to share a helpful article on our website, growinghometogether.com. If you would like to learn more about how to face the threat of eating disorders for your kids. Um, Jennifer, we just thank you so much for joining us today. God bless you and your ministry. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I just am so thankful for the ministry you guys have. It has already been a gift to me as well. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Growing Home Together podcast. We would love to connect with you more over on our website, growinghometogether.com, where we're caring for the soul of your family and growing home together with you.